you know, their expectations are that everything should be the same. They want, even though they're in a new country, they want it to be like where they were. So when you're, when you're in a pattern in your life, your mind goes on autopilot. But when you start traveling, like everything is new. And so, and so you're not like running around in your mind so much. You're in the world. You're of the world. And it's a peaceful way to be. Welcome to Badass Digital Nomads, where we're pushing the boundaries of remote work and travel, all while staying grounded with a little bit of old school philosophy, self-development, and business advice from our guests. Hey there, Kristen from Traveling with Kristen here, and welcome to episode 169 of Badass Digital Nomads. My guest today is someone who probably doesn't need much of an introduction for all of you YouTube fans out there. My guest today is Dan from VagabondBuddha.com, also known as the host of the Vagabond Awake YouTube channel, which gives lots of tips for living abroad, retiring abroad, and the cost of living in countries around the world. Dan has been traveling the world for 15 years through 67 countries, and he has a lot of life experience, a lot of career experience, a lot of travel experience. As he says, as he's gotten older, he just knows things now. So he knows things, he knows a lot, and he's sharing a lot with us here today. There's also a YouTube version of this interview on my channel, but it's only half of the interview. So I believe that video is around 36 minutes long. If you want to watch part of the interview, this podcast version is the full extended version. And then Dan also interviewed me for his channel. So I'll also link to my 30 minute interview on his channel in the show notes. And you can also access those at badassdigitalnomads.com. Two quick announcements before we jump into today's episode. The date that this podcast goes live on Tuesday, August 23rd, 2022 is the official in-store date for Digital Nomads for Dummies. So my first book hits bookstores today. You can go in person to the bookstore and grab a physical copy of the book. So Let's all head over to the bookstore now. And of course, if you bought the ebook version, you already have access to it online. Or if you ordered it online, it might have arrived to your house already or it should be on the way soon. But very exciting that the book will be in bookstores today. And to celebrate the launch of my first book, I'm offering 50% off my Freelance to Freedom online course valid this week only so the link to check it out is in the show notes and that link will expire at midnight eastern time on saturday august 27th 2022 and freelance to freedom is a course that i developed at the beginning of the pandemic as a solution to help people make money online fast so whether you are interested and having a career as an online freelancer, or if you just want to start a side hustle with skills that you already have to make some extra money online, this course is for you. Or even if you don't know what skills you have 
that can help you earn an online income. This course was designed to help you figure that out. So check out the link in the show notes. Check out Digital Nomads for Dummies in bookstores if you haven't already and enjoy today's show. Well, welcome, Dan, to Badass Digital Nomads. It's so great to have you here with us today. I know you don't always disclose your location, but where are you approximately right now? I'm in the Philippines, um, and I'm I'm in a, uh, a mountain city, so I'm in a cool area. We've been in the Philippines for about five months on and off, and we've really enjoyed this visit. And right now we're just in a mountain area where it's cool. And so it's it's a nice change because it can get warm in the Philippines. Definitely. I've only been to Manila, but it was very hot there. I was just there for a week or so en route to Thailand. I know that you and your wife have spent a lot of time there. But before we get into that, take us back to the beginning. For people who don't know you, You have a YouTube channel with all types of videos on how to help people retire abroad, the best places to go. But what were you doing before you had this YouTube channel? What was your life like? And how long ago was it that you were living a traditional lifestyle? So I was um, sitting at my desk in 2006, late, like around November, um, working away in the phone ring. And someone said to me, uh, it turned out to be a headhunter. She said, would you be interested in moving to India for two years? And I'd always been curious about India. But more than that, I was, I'd always dreamed about traveling the world. And, and I thought if I was in that side of the world for two years and I got the right job and, the, and, and they perceived me as valuable, I would be able to um, get an, enough vacation time so I could actually travel around that part of the world. Um, so I so I moved to India a few months later in 2007, and uh, I was there about uh, almost three years, and I had 22 one-week vacations off. I had every seventh week off, and I would go to the I would go to the airport on Friday, and I would fly somewhere around Asia or or Europe or wherever, and I would spend the next the weekend, the five days, and then the next weekend, and then I'd be back at my desk. And so I visited, I don't know, around 22, 25 countries in those two and a half years. And uh, and so I was, at the time, this is 2007, I would have been uh, almost 47. Um, and I didn't expect to get that sort of travel in my life until, you know, retirement age. And so it was really a great experience. And what was and your what, job at the time? Oh, go ahead. Um, and that's what got me traveling. So when I was, okay, I'll get back up for a sec. So the, the job that I was doing is is like, re, it's uh, research. And it's kind of long and boring to talk about, but I was being hired to go to India to teach Indians how to do this kind of research because it wasn't really in India yet. So it was outsourcing. So I was just doing a research job in a very specialized area and it was a little bit boring, but suddenly I was offered this amazing job and I moved to India and had a really good time in India and also saw that part of the world for, for three years. That's amazing. Had you done any international travel before you got that job offer? Oh yeah. I'm, I dreamt about and thought about travel pretty much all year long, every year. For me, it was like you work as, you know, all your work year was waiting to 
go on your vacation. But it was a traditional American life I was living where I had a week or two. And so I had, but I don't know how many countries I maybe I'd only been to maybe eight or 10 countries before I went to India. So which state are you from or where were you living at the time? I grew up in California in a small farming town and uh, spent uh, most, maybe until 20, I was in California. Uh, and then uh, I moved to the East Coast for a while. And then I moved back to California, then to Arizona, then to Oregon. But I was living in Oregon at the time that that the headhunter called me. Okay. Did you have any any reservations at all about taking that job in India? Because I've talked with other expats that, well, they eventually became expats, but at the beginning, they were kind of afraid or hesitant about taking an assignment for one or two or three years in a country that they had never been to. Well, they flew me out there for the job interview, um, and I was there for a couple of weeks, but but I'm I'm an unusual traveler in that I don't expect to bring my comforts with me all over the world. I'm somebody that adapts quite easily in, to the environment around me. And I knew India would be a challenge, and it was maybe for the first six months, but that that never crossed my mind that that would stop me from enjoying that travel and being that part of the world. And, and I have, um, through work, I met I have many Indian friends, and I love Indian food. I'm a vegetarian, and I, so I love any the food in India and around Southeast Asia I love, and and so... The, you know, I knew there'd be some challenges, um, but but for me, it wasn't really that hard being in India, honestly. Mm -hmm. And which city were you in there? I was in uh, New Delhi. Okay. Um, yeah. And it was nice. The, it's actually quite a fun city to be in. I mean, there's great nightlife there, great restaurants. Um, it's has, a you know, it's a very, very old culture. So they have temples and it's, it's very, and, and um, Indian people are very um, welcoming uh, to Westerners, um, and so they're very friendly and easy to get along with, and, and the people I worked with were lovely, and it, so it really turned out to be a great experience. And you mentioned that there were some challenges with adjusting during those first six months. I've also yeah. found that, especially the first country that you move to, it can take a longer adjustment period. Did you feel like you went through that curve of cultural adjustment where everything is great at the beginning or, or either you're in shock or everything's completely wonderful and then it's kind of like reality hits you? And did you ever have yeah. questions about if you had made the right decision and how did you work through those and adjust to the daily life there? So the adjustments for me were when you first go to a new country, you don't understand how much you take for granted. Just, you know where everything is, like where to get like simple things like coffee and the shampoo you like, and just every, just simple things that you know how to do in your life. When you show up in a new country, you know, if it's not like a, a, an Americanized country, it, you're going to have to work through all that. Like, where do I get socks and shoes and underwear? And where do I get groceries? Like everything has to be refigured out. And so, so that is what I meant by six months. But once you realize that you don't need all that stuff you thought you needed and there's other stuff over here you can use instead. And now you have a few friends and you know where to go to dinner. And once you've gotten over that hump and you've, um, you, you know, you redefine yourself in some ways, you leave part of yourself behind, but you become this new person that 
is multicultural and um, you just sort of internalize that. And once you've got over that hump, then it, it's, it's smooth sailing. And then, like you just said, it's really your first country. After that first one, then it's sort of that memory happens when you go into a new country. You're like, oh, yeah, I got upset about this last time. Like the plugs are wrong and the I don't know, I have to get bottled water and, and all this kind of stuff that's different. All that stuff is just, you know, it's no sweat off your back anymore. You just go through those same processes you learned. Yeah, sometimes I would feel like I was too laid back when I went to countries, like you would kind of stop planning as much or stop worrying about the details. And then sometimes more things can go wrong that way because you're actually not prepared. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I think there's some people I think that have a harder time traveling than others. Um, and it's hard to really put my finger on what that is, but I think it's just people that are expecting you know, their expectations are that everything should be the same. They want, even though they're in a new country, they want it to be like where they were. And that happens early when you travel. You know, if you go on vacation somewhere and, you know, and you and, and you don't know, like you don't want to eat any of the food in front of you, that's like a tragedy, you know, if you're only out of the country, you know, for two weeks of the year or whatever. But, but if you're used to that, then you know how to sort of just deal with it. And so, yeah, I totally agree. And and it does make a difference whether you're traveling alone or with other people and, and whether or not you're kind of a laid back person and take life, you know, uh, with a grain of salt or whether you're wound up tight and you want to control everything around you. There's just, there's just different types and they all have to deal with it however they are. Did you feel like you're, you were a vagabond Buddha before you moved to India? Or do you think that that is a, um, a philosophy of your life and a mindset that evolved through travel? Um, I'm a Buddhist. And so for me, it's not a belief system. Um, it's about being present in the present moment. And so if you think about what a grievance is, it doesn't matter if you're mad at a person or the food set down in front of you or whatever it is, you're not accepting the way things are. What you're doing is you're, you're remembering how you want them to be and you're comparing them to how they are. And that's a, it's kind of like an internal grievance you have. Um, and I don't know, as a, as a Buddhist kind of Zen minded, I'm more present to where I am. I'm not so much present to how I want it to be. Um, and so I forgot the question. Oh, were you, uh, were you like that before you started? Oh, yeah. Or not like yeah. that, but had you yeah, yeah. kind of come to these conclusions earlier in life or yeah. because it's not like we learn that in the U S school system, <laughs> we don't learn exactly. how to be living in the present moment. And, yeah. and we don't, we learn about Buddhism as a paragraph in a history book in the eighth grade. That's like, Oh, this is some weird religion that people have in other countries. <laughs> so yeah. How did you um, come to that life path? Um, when, okay. When I was, um, uh, 21 years old, I actually didn't know much about Buddhism, but I, I had an experience where I was in the present moment due to some tragedy that was going on in my life. And that, and I felt the tragedy pretty strongly um, for a couple of weeks, but then there was a morning when I woke up and I was peaceful, internally peaceful. And it's been since then. I learned later learned when I was reading that what had happened in my life is that 
that I was present to what's going on around me instead of my conversation in my head about how I wanted to be or who's right or who's wrong or I was just present uh, and it was it was partly it was a survival technique I think because I was in such pain at the time mm. and since that time it's really kind of stayed with me and I've learned more about Buddhism since then and Zen and that kind of thing um, but that that's what it is it's it's the Eastern philosophy and um, a lot of people study it but I don't feel like I'm better or like I deserve it or I think there's just sort of a grace that happens for some people, whether it's through tragedy in life or um, maybe they study it or, or what, but it happens for some people and not others. And so I don't take credit for that or, or see myself as special in any way. I just feel that I was lucky enough to have that tragedy in my life. And, and for, for my survival, I was able to come to grips with, you know, present moment awareness yeah I, I think that it's something that all humans have the potential to feel there's just so much noise and so much static in the world but some of us are lucky to have those moments of clarity and peace and that's when you kind of see through all the noise and and remember what's important and for whatever reason do you think that those are related like where do you see that sense of internal freedom and peace aligning with your decision to slow travel? Uh, that's a really good question. Um, and so one of the things I've, I've observed after I left India in 2010, I quit my job and um, I offered to be a consultant and work remotely with my laptop half time, half pay. And they were paying me a good living, but I didn't want to work that many hours anymore. And it was more than enough money that I needed to travel the world. So because I was going to places around the world that were cheaper to live, I would, you know, it was geo arbitrage. And I was getting to know the world, like where are the places that are interesting and where you can live for a reasonable amount. And that's kind of what set me up for my business about teaching that subject. But um, uh, what I noticed was that, um, was that when you go to a new place, when you're slow traveling, versus if you're in your old country and you just stay in that country and you stay on that job and you go back and forth to work. And you, so when you're, when you're in a pattern in your life and you're doing it over and over and over again, maybe on the weekend you go to a play, different place for dinner or maybe you, you, know, you go to a party or you go on a vacation or whatever. But those patterns, when you're involved in those patterns all the time, your mind goes on autopilot, if you know what I mean. Like it's, you remember, you probably remember driving to work at some point where you're like, you remember getting in the car and now you're at work. It, your body drove you to work. It's like an autopilot thing. Um, and so if you go on autopilot in your life, what happens is your mind will start thinking about all these other things. And if you will, the mind, the, a busy mind is really what takes you out of your environment, your present moment, moment awareness. And so, but when you start traveling, everything's new. Like, where am I going to get my coffee? Where am I going to sleep tonight? What am I going to eat? Where do I, you know, do I mm. take a bus to the next place or like everything is new. And so you don't have any time to get stuck in your mind and work over this bump. Did, what did he mean? What did she mean? What's real? Oh, they couldn't have meant that. What, why are they? So your mind doesn't, it has to 
it has to be present because it's survival when you're a slow traveler. You're you're engaged in your life. And that's what's interesting about it. And what that does is it plugs you into the world, not just to solve problems, but also like you're aware all the time. So if you walk by a building that's like a beautiful building, you look up and go, wow, that's a beautiful building. I wonder what it is. And when you get back to your computer, like, what is that building? And so you're not like running around in your mind so much. You're in the world. You're of the world. And it's a peaceful way to be. The mind can, you know, if you if you um, let it run, not like we all have control of it all the time, but but it can it can create pain in your life. But if you're present um, and you're and you're in action in your life and you're aware, it's and that's what slow travel gives you. It's a, it's not guaranteed, but it opens that door for you. Yeah, yeah, I I definitely can relate to that, and I think anyone who's traveled can attest to how you really need to be in the moment and all that drama and the office politics and things like that just tends to dissolve once you get on the plane and especially once you land in another place um so for for people who haven't seen your channel before i love your your definition of like what a vagabond buddha is so i'll just read a, a portion of your website it says a vagabond Buddha is awake. A vagabond Buddha is a person who perceives the mind's belief in social norms, such as success, careers, possessions, professions, politics, titles, influence, time, language, wealth, or notoriety, and reflects only those that empower the freedom that manifests in awakening. Uh, simple joys that arise in a present moment. A vagabond Buddha is playing their life freely. They are often found just wandering this planet enjoying the magnificence and diversity. A vagabond Buddha is a citizen of the world in the material sense and a boundless undefined awareness in the spiritual sense. Um, that's so beautiful. Thank you for writing that. And okay. what is your, your mission here in creating Vagabond Buddha, your YouTube channel, what is it that you want for people reflected in that mission? Well, there's two missions, really. One is um, to, to open a door to geographic freedom for people. Um, you know, for centuries, people have lived and died within one or two miles of where they were born. Um, and now we live in a time where because of you know, trap because of rapid transit and because of language, common language growing around the world and because of the internet and translation tools. And we live in a time where um, you can choose to stay in one spot your whole life. But we also, we also live in this time where that, that's not the only choice you can make. You can define your life. And I mean, from the bottom, the ground up. And and one of the things you have a choice about is, you know, what your life means and whether it's stationary, whether you want to raise a family or not, whether you want to have a regular job or whether you want to work remotely and travel or it's all stuff that you can you can define. And so so what the first part of Vagabond Buddha is really about just teaching people that that the whole idea of retirement is not really about age. It's about what you need to do to be free. And it doesn't, you can be free where you grew up in the same community 
by doing something like you teach, you know, be a, a digital nomad and stay in one place. You just, you make up a business and you do it online and you generate wealth and you sit in your house and you, you figure out some value you can give to the world and, and, uh, and you define your career and you, you decide whether you're going to sit in one place or move around and you're going to decide, do I stay in one place a long time? Some people are very, you know, they like to nest and other people like me, they like to move around and experience new cultures. And, um, and so I don't know, that's the geographical and the monetary part of it. And then the second part is just the spirituality. I think um, for me, I, I'm not, I'm not an evangelist. Like I don't, I don't even tell people I'm a Buddhist unless they ask me. But the other part of the business is 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 just sharing that possibility that you don't have to be stuck in your mind. You can live in the present moment. And that idea is not really so much in the West. It is in younger people, but not people my age so much. Um, and so that's the second part of it. And I just kind of casually go about that. I have a second channel called Vagabond Buddha where I teach just have thoughts when they occur, that kind of thing. And for, for most Westerners, it'll probably sound really strange, um, but it's kind of Asian, philo Eastern philosophy mixed with a man, you know, an older man from the West who's experiencing it, talking about it in English. Um, so uh, maybe it'll open some doors for people that, that don't know about it, they're curious about it. So those are the two facets of the business. The reason it's called Vagabond, is the travel part and Buddha's to me is about finding joy in your life by being present to what's happening in your life rather than to whatever your mind is complaining about it and then given. Yeah. And I think ultimately that's what people want. They want to be happy. They want to have freedom and they want to live life on their, on their own terms, but they also want to feel like that sense of belonging in the world and find their place in the world and also meet like-minded people along the way. So it is quite really quite simple. Sometimes we can make it, um, well, not all of us, but at least, you know, me, or sometimes we make it more complicated than it needs to be. But then yeah. there's also um, this sense of overwhelm and uncertainty that can sometimes come from having unlimited freedom where it's like, oh, wow, you look at a world map or you spin the globe and you're like, where do I go? And, th and that can sometimes be unnerving for people too, to go from like the rat race hamster wheel to you can do anything you want. You can be anything you want. You can live any, anywhere you want. And that can prevent people from taking action. So in all of the thousands of people that you've talked to and the hundreds of people in your membership community, what have you found are some of the things that hold people back from retiring in other countries or living the life that they want? And how have you helped them overcome that? Well, that's a really good question. Um, and actually, that's such a fundamental question. It actually applies to everything in life, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, because I didn't... People, People okay. dream about, they dream about what they want their life to be, don't they? Not everyone, but I would say many people do. They don't just sit where they are and solve it one problem after another. They have some idea of who they are, and where they want to go and what they want to be. And some people, some people action on that and some don't. So it's a very interesting question. Um, 
And I, I don't know that I've solved that part of the equation, to be honest with you. I think that I think some of it comes through inspiration when they watch people like you and me traveling around the world and they see we're like, we're kind of normal. We're not, you know, we don't really take ourselves too seriously. We, we just have fun and we just live our life, you know, in a meaningful way. And we try to help other people. I think maybe they're inspired by that in, in some, some respects, but um, I don't, I'm not sure other than to blaze the path in front of them. Um, that might be the, maybe the only contribution I'm making in that regard. I, I have, it's funny cause I have that on a list of videos to make and I, I don't have a title for it yet, but it'll be something like, how do I get off the couch? You know, something uh -huh. like that. Um, and, and I've been thinking about it for a few months. So it's funny that you ask about that. And I've had, I've had uh, subscribers and, and friends and you know people that I meet through the business that have asked that question multiple times and so yeah. um it's interesting well I think everything's a little bit synchronized so it doesn't surprise me that I asked you a question about a video that you're thinking about making um but sometimes I think people can't put their finger on what it is that's holding them back or it might be more than one thing it's kind of the same as asking someone like what do you want or what would make you happy? And they can say, well, I know what I don't want and I don't want this and this and this, or I know what I don't like. And it's that, but it's like this clarity over and this focus over what it is exactly like, what is the thing is hard to put your finger on. And sometimes I think it's because it's not just one thing and, and there's not even one end place to get to. Like, it really is like all about the journey and as you found in traveling for decades and going to how many countries? Uh, 67. 67 countries. So yeah. I think even if you've been to every country in the world, like you realize you're not done, quote unquote, yet. And it's about like how you grow as a person as you're, as you're doing that. And it's like all these little steps that come together to create this kind of whole that's greater than the sum of its parts, so to speak. Like that synergy and you don't know exactly what was that turning point in your life, but it was like all these little things that you tried that, that come to make one thing. So I guess let's bring it down from, I didn't know we were going to go so spiritual in this, in this conversation. <laughs> so big picture, but like after, you know, kind of defining like this vision for what's possible for people let's bring it down into the practical like day-to-day -day stuff that people can do. Hey there, hope you're enjoying today's episode. If my podcast has ever helped you, I would love to hear from you. Did you know that you can rate the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Podchaser? If you don't listen on one of those three apps, you can also leave a review on our website, at badassdigitalnomads.com. I loved hearing from Fatima, Sergio, Gerardo, and Ellie recently, and I'd love to hear from you too. People are always interested in how much it costs to go somewhere. You have videos on like, you know, how cheap is it to retire in different places and how to travel when you're broke? What are some of the, the financial blocks that people have? And practically speaking, like what is the amount of money that they need in their savings or coming in as like a, 
a remote job income or a retirement income stream for them to be able to traipse around the world? That's a long question, but sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's an interesting question because um, there's a lot of factors that go into that. For example, if if somebody is, you know, they were born and raised, let's say in the U.S., um, and they've only lived in the U.S. and they're used to living the U.S. lifestyle. They have a car, they have a house. Well, not everyone has a house, but they they typically have a car. They have car insurance. They have a house or they're renting a house. They have um, the gasoline they're buying and food and all these different things. And in the U.S., you know, what they their cost of living is generally highly related to what their income is. And so there are people that live in the U.S. that are making very little money and figuring out one crazy way or another to not starve to death. And then there are people that are living on ten or 20000 50,000. I have a friend that's, you know, sky's the limit. He makes so much money. He can spend whatever he wants. Um, and so depending on who you're taking out of, say, the U.S. and where you're putting them and how much they want to recreate their life in the U.S., that'll tell them kind of what their budget is. Um, and so I, the way that I deal with that is in, in most of my reports, I talk about I talk about just things that I can observe without knowing who they are and what kind of life they're going to want. Like what is a what is a one bedroom apartment cost? And often my the people that come to my webpage are people that I think of it like McDonald's. McDonald's used to be cheap. Now I don't even know what it is. I, I'm vegetarian and I've been outside the US mostly for the last 15 years. But but McDonald's used to serve the majority of the population, like the bottom part of the population. And I don't know if you know this or not, but the the U.S., because of what's happened financially over the last 15 to 20 years, people reaching retirement age now, um, they many of them have lost their pensions and mm -hmm. they have less. So and they haven't made as much over the last whatever number of years. And so they're coming up, they're coming to retirement age and they may only have like a fifteen hundred dollar check from Social Security that, that they're going to get. And they may have a little bit and a 401k, or they may have a house they can sell. And so uh, someone who's going to retire in the USA, and they're going to have to live on $1,500 a month, there's a certain kind of life that they're going to have. Especially and, with inflation. Yeah, with inflation kicking now. Now, Social Security has COLAs, you know, cost of living increases, but um, uh, but still 1500 is not a lot of money in the US. And so if that's if someone's like that, what they want to know is where can I go where my rent's not 1200 or 1800? Where can I go where my rent's 500 or 600 or 300 or 800? You know, and, and what are those countries like? I mean, what do they look like? And so I'm not really, my business is not really for people that have, that are millionaires. They're retiring with a $4,000 social security check. There's, they have two rental properties and they, that my business is for, I'm looking at the people that, are trying to figure out how to have a nice retirement, uh, you know, and they're just, they're, they don't have what they thought they would have. And so I try to, I try to tell them, okay, your rent's this, your utilities are this, your phone's that, internet's this, here's what plates, you know, entrees cost, here's what, if you buy groceries, they're going to cost, and they can look at those numbers and they go, those are the base costs. 
But what else do they want? Do they want health insurance? Do they want up to own a car? I don't own a car. I take public transportation. I ride the bus. Um, I take a taxi once in a while. I ride tricycles, which are like taxis, but they're three-wheel tackies. Ta like tuk like the tuk-tuks, yeah. Yeah, so I, I, I'm not saying that um, that I live on the bottom that you can live at. Like I don't live totally like a local, but I try to keep my expenses down when I'm traveling around just so that I have a vision for those people of what it might cost. So, so what I like to say is that in places like, like the Philippines, if you're making a thousand, if you're getting a thousand dollar social security check, you're probably going to be able to cover most of your daily expenses. You're probably not going to be able to buy health insurance. So what you need, because health insurance around the world is going to cost a hundred or two, or older people are going to be excluded from cancer coverage. You probably mm. have done some reading on that. I mm -hmm. think I saw on your webpage. And when in some parts of the world, when you get past a certain age, you can't even get insurance. Or, or if you get it, it has all these it's exclusions. Expensive. Yeah, it's super expensive. And so, so what do those people do? You know, and and so I interview expats and talk to them about it. And some of them, some of them just pay for their Medicare in the U.S. And they think if something bad happens to me, I'll fly back to the U.S. It's not a best case solution. Um, but some people, they've lived their life right. They're healthy. They do the best they can to keep their body in good shape. Some are not. And so they have to do that analysis themselves. And so typically around most of the, of the retired cheap in paradise places around the world, uh, you can get by on like a thousand or twelve hundred or fifteen hundred, depending on whether you want to live like you did in the U.S., which you're not going to do for fifteen hundred, or you're willing to live in local kind of uh, housing and eat in local kind of restaurants and live like the locals. I mean, like for example, in the Philippines now, most families are living around five or six hundred dollars. I don't know if it's most or not, but it's not unusual at all for to you to meet somebody in the Philippines. That is a Filipino and say, what, what is your monthly expenses? 500, 600, 700, 800. And so if you come and you have a thousand or 1500, you're already living a step above the locals, but you're not living a U.S. lifestyle. Other people come to places like the Philippines or Mexico or, and, and they have more money. So they want to rent a place that looks like their house in the U.S. And so they, they often go into gated communities and they eat in like Italian and, and Western style restaurants at every meal and they buy a car and that's going to cost more, you know, that's going to cost 2,500, 3,500. If you go to somewhere like Costa Rica and you want to live that lifestyle, it might cost you six or 8,000 a month. Mm -hmm. So it's really a broad question you're asking and it really takes personal involvement to answer it. And the one thing no one should ever do is buy a plane ticket, fly a one-way plane ticket to a country and go there with only their social security of a thousand dollars a month and think that they're going to make that transition. No, you have to, you have to do an exploratory visit. You have to go see, where am I going to live? What are the rents of this house? What are the utility bills? Let me see them. Where am I going to shop? What are the groceries? What am I going to do if I get sick? Do I have some savings for emergency? And so, so the fact that I'm working, that my reports are for people that are trying to keep their expenses down, mean that there's some risk for them. And they're going to have to really think about what those risks are. And is it really worth moving to a foreign country? Or is it better to stay in the U.S.? And that's a really hard calculus because they may have to move somewhere where in the U.S. that they're not that interested in, where rents are only whatever eight hundred or thousand a month, or six. I don't, you know, or they might have to share 
like get a house with friends and share the rooms and kind of like what you did in college or whatever. So, or do you want to get like a little house in the provinces in the Philippines, have your privacy again, your rent's only 250 or 300, you're shopping in the local market for another few hundred a month, you have your cell phone that's both your hotspot and your, uh, your cell phone, and you're, you know, you're praying to God that you don't get sick. And, and if you do, you better have some money to fly home to the U.S. or to pay the hospital. And also, you should know that the hospitals around the world, um, outside the U.S., maybe outside of Europe also, some of Europe, of course, says, um, will even pay for uh, a foreigner that's hurt if they're, if they're visiting there. Uh, like a friend of mine broke her arm in Portugal, and they fixed her arm in the hospital, even though she didn't have insurance. Oh, wow. Um, but a lot of the world around... Um, they don't have like a safety net. So if you get sick and you don't have money to pay to the hospital to stabilize you before you fly home, you're in big trouble. So this is all stuff you have to think about. But these are the same kind of people that have to think about the same stuff, whether they live in the U.S. or um, overseas, except when they hit 65, then it, hopefully they have they're getting their Medicare or whatever. So this is not an easy question to answer. And and mostly what I like to do is just show them. I show them like this place, here's what a place looks like for 300 a month. You know, here's what a $2 meal looks like. And they have to do that calculus themselves. So I would say that the typical expat though, that's not who they are. The typical expat has made more money most of their life. They've had a passport, they've traveled in internationally and they're paying a thousand a month or 1500 a month rent. And it's the when inside their house, it looks almost like the U.S., Maybe it has more problems or it's hard to solve problems because they don't know who to call for electricity or this or that, you know, to solve an internal problem in the house. But they're trying to make their existence like the U.S. So they're in, so their cost of living is going to be higher, you know, 1500 2000 2500 And so it's going to be very dependent on what their income is, what their lifestyle was, and, and whether or not they can adjust. And they need to do an exploratory visit before they move somewhere, mostly. Yeah, perfect. Because people that are listening are coming from all different backgrounds. Some of them are reliant on that social security check from whichever country they're from. Some of them have extra passive income coming in from investments and, and pensions and things like that. So you gave the perfect answer. Um, <laughs> and as you were talking, it just reminded me of how, how frustrating it is to really just observe the this system that we're in of course it depends on every country but to look at the trajectory just using the us for example because we're both from the us but this trajectory of going to school and then going to work and waiting for retirement to really live your life and then oh when you get to retirement you have to live on this small amount of money that you've been you know paying into the social security system your whole life and then now that doesn't cover enough really for you to have your rent and food in the US. And so then you have to go back to living like a college student and then you're running out of time. Like you're rapidly running out of time, like years of life to live the way you want. And it's like the system is set up for people to fail in a way or not necessarily fail, but just the system is set up for people to like serve a purpose that is someone else's purpose. Yes. And it's almost like well we're said. disposable. And then, and then it's like, okay, on to the next generation. <laughs> like, and that is so, <laughs> uh, that's so infuriating. And so 
I, I think that this is a way for people to break out of that system and say, you know what, I don't want to wait until I retire to live my life. And I don't want to like, this is not a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, this, um, this social security system. And so you need to take life into your own hands. And that's where that other income aspect comes in. So can you talk a little bit about the ways that you and some of your clients and subscribers are able to generate another online income that can duplicate and triple and quadruple uh, the amount of money that people might have thought that they had to rely on in the retirement system? Yeah, sure. So so when I, so when I was in India in, in 2010, I read the book called The Four Hour Work Week, which I, I'm sure you've read. And all digital, it's like the digital nomad commercial Bible, let's mm -hmm. call it that. And um, so I read that book and I realized that I was a consultant and I was I was now working half time, half day, but I had to go to work in the morning or, or you know, I couldn't take a day off or, you know, I had to work to get that money. And uh, and I and I read about um, just some of the ideas in the book and started learning about about. And so I starting in around 2010, I started taking different courses. Like, how do you make money online? Like, it seemed like magic to me. Like some people are able to do magic, you know, where they. I'm going to pull a quarter from behind your ear and other people weren't. And I was like, what's going on? It seemed like magic to me. So I started taking the, all these different courses and um, I didn't, I didn't really have any success with any of them. And one of the reasons I think was because, because the course basically taught me what that person needed to know to make money. If you get what I mean? And what, what, and and I and I did have some success. I even I took the Amazon uh, the amazing course. Um, you've probably heard of them. The, they're they're a company that teaches people how to put products in the Amazon uh, warehouses. Um, yeah, the uh, FBA. Uh, uh, FBA, yeah. So I took that course. Very expensive. I ordered stuff from China, and I and I was it was beginning to sell. I was starting to make money, and then I got this email from Amazon that said, "Oh." Uh, we have a new policy. You have to, um, you can't ship as much stuff. And well, I was bringing it over from China, shipping it to Amazon. And um, the only reason I was making money is because I was buying it in quantity. And now they wanted me to start shipping in, take a big one in and ship in little ones. And I'm traveling the world, right? I'm like, what am I going to do? Fly back to the US every time Amazon runs out of, so I realized I can't be in partnership with somebody who can mess with me every five minutes. And so I started looking around. I learned about affiliate marketing and all these different things. And I tried different things, took courses, and and uh, really didn't have any luck with it. And then I heard about this concept, the information business, where where there's something you know. Now, old people like me, we know things. Okay, we've lived a long life, and so we know things. And other people need to find out how to do those things. And so, um, what the business, the information business is, is you share life experience with people and how do you do it? I choose to put up YouTube videos and what do I know something about? I drove, I lived all over the world and enjoyed the world for all those years. And so I know all the cool spots. I knew what the cost, you know, what a, you know, an entree costs and what was the rent here and there. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to just start putting up reports. 
about the cost of living in different places. And I would do, I do videos on my channel. I say, we're eating dinner here. Look at our food. Is it good? Oh, it's really nice. How much is it? $2. Where are you staying? Oh, here's our apartment. And how did you get there? Oh, we rode this bus. It was $8. We went from this town to that town. And so we just show people what it's like to live around the world as a slow traveler. And that's, and what's cool about it is, is that it's organic traffic. They come and they meet you and they somehow they find you and then they watch you. Oh, he's in Colombia now. Oh, now he's in Peru. Oh, he's in Ecuador. Oh, now he's in Portugal. Oh, look, now he's in Thailand. Oh, he's in the Philippines. And they watch you and they're like, what the hell is this guy? How does he do this? And they're just, they just see you living this lifestyle that they've dreamt about their whole life. Um, and so it creates, it, it creates energy and interest. And then people at the end, you, you, push them to your webpage with an email list or whatever. Anyway, I created this course called the Hobby Income Course, where if you're if you're someone like me and you've had something in your life that's interesting that people want to know about, maybe it's your hobby, maybe it's your job you did during your working years, whatever it is, you have a base set of knowledge that other people need to know. Plus, that's an evolving concept, whatever your hobby is. It could be muscle cars or fly fishing or sewing or whatever, like there's a girl that does macro, um, those sticks with the cotton, I forget what it's called. Uh, yes, she, crochet. Crochet, and she does these videos where all she, all you're doing is looking down at the crochet. And she, that's her way she gets um, people interested. And people love to do that. I guess it's calming and interesting and fun. So anyway, so you, you basically give away a bunch of free information on some social media. I choose YouTube because YouTube pays me every month that people watch my videos. And then that they'll eventually get used to me and they'll find out I have a webpage. They end up over there. They see all these reports that teach them how to do what I do. And eventually they might want to buy a membership and the memberships are $9 a month or, or a $99 one-time fee. And I also have the course there that if they want to start a hobby and, and they can just, I have all the steps to, start their WordPress page, how to use um, uh, their email, create their email list and how, how to do a, a landing page. It's all there and what the tools are and stuff. And that's, I give that for free as part of the membership. And for me, it's just, it's kind of a fun life. I'm, it's this whole second life I have online where I'm just sharing stuff with people and people are learning stuff and I'm doing what I love. And, and all of that activity and action creates money. And that's the magic where they pull the quarter from behind your ear. And, and that's what's given me the life. Now I'm no longer sitting in front of my computer doing boring stuff. I'm doing stuff I'm excited about because it's my hobby. It's what I want to do. And I'm in charge of my life and the world is my oyster. And so that's kind of how it all. And then behind all that is this idea that, you know, there's freedom, both geographical freedom and there's also freedom from mind pain. And that's the Buddhist part of it. But that's more, I don't really push that too hard, but it's there on the webpage. If you hunt around, you'll find it. Okay. Yeah. And Geographical freedom, financial freedom. Yeah. And mind freedom, freedom from, from mind pain, if you will. So yeah. That's my story. And, 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 but the cool thing about it is if you, if you look online, it doesn't, and people think, oh, he got that niche. No one else can go in that niche. You and I are kind of in the same niche. We're helping people re relocate to foreign countries. And, and what's interesting about online is that people that are attracted to my personality come to me. And people that are attracted to your personality will go to you. And we'll both solve their problems. And um, 
but the, it's not the scarcity thing. People think the internet is a scarce place where only the first one who got there gets it and no one else can do it. And, and oh, it's too late for me. Every, it's not how the internet works. It's, it's this massive billions of people on it and they're from all over the world and there's a space for everybody, but it's hard work. You have to do the work really. Um, and that's the bottom line, I think. Yeah, it's um, it's not mutually exclusive. I mean, people can like also like both of us and exactly. also like a million other people. And exactly. I see this in every in every industry. Like yesterday, I was just looking. I'm subscribed to 253 YouTube channels. Like, there's no limit on how many channels you can subscribe to on YouTube and how many people yeah. you can follow. From what you said, that's the big takeaway for me and hopefully for everyone is that everyone has skills that have value and the longer you've worked and the longer you've lived, the more knowledge you have and the more value you can contribute. And then that contribution is an exchange of value from the people that you're helping. And so, um, we'll link to your course and the show notes and your membership page and everything. And, you know, we're teaching similar things. So we're just coming at it from different perspectives. Like I have a course freelance to freedom, which is just teaching people how to in one or two months, how to make their first dollars online. Um, Because as you mentioned, it just starts with, with one thing, and then you can explore that and, and create other things. And maybe you started with drop shipping on Amazon FBA, and then researching affiliate marketing, and then you find the information business. And for some people, it might be developing a new business from scratch. And for other people, it might just be offering freelance consulting services for something that they've already done, whether it's accounting or research, like you could have taken your, your skill as a researcher for the company you were working for in India. And that's what you started out doing, right? You became a consultant when you quit your job. Yeah. And, um, and what, how long were you doing that between when you quit? Was it 2010? And then when you started your information business? Uh, there's a little overlap. I, I started, um, I started Vagabond Buddha in 2018. And then I got fired from one company I was working for. And I started to do Vagabond Buddha in 20. Um, I, I dropped it for like a year and a half because I got another offer from another company. And I was so busy because the first year and a half of training people was very intense. But then then that company shut down that division. And I said, the heck with it. I'm just going to go full on with Vagamon Buddha. So since uh, I think it was 2018, um, I've been, so it's four years now. I've been full full on traveling the world. I was already traveling, but but writing about where I'm traveling to, doing videos about where I'm traveling to, writing about uh, tricks about how to save money and and writing about, you know, visas and writing about all of that. And all, mm-hmm. it's, it's like 200 reports now on uh, Vagabond Buddha and uh, making the videos. And and uh, and in 2019, I think it was, no, it was 2020, I put up the hobby income course uh, as a way to thank my members for giving me the life that, that I always wanted, which is working for myself and being free to be all over the world. And it's, so. it's amazing how you've created the life that you want for yourself through creating uh, helping other people create the lives they want for themselves. It's like this whole circle. Yeah. Well, I had all of these, <laughs> I had all of these 
technical questions for you about retirement visas and living in the Philippines and cheap travel, slow travel tips, like all sorts of things. But you have hundreds of videos on your YouTube channel about all very specific topics. So yeah, 800, I will, 800, 800 videos. Yeah, now, 800 so. videos. So yeah. I will direct people to your YouTube channel to see things like why, like how much the cost of living is in Granada or how to pay for two years of travel or why Panama is better than Costa Rica or early retirement, <laughs> safety, retirement visas in Malaysia, like all sorts of topics. So if people want to dive deep into specific topic, we will send them there, but, uh, hopefully this is a good introduction to everyone about who you are, what you do, who you help and what they can do in their own lives. So thank you so much for coming on Badass Digital Nomads and where can people connect with you? Uh, well, of course, vagabondbuddha.com is my webpage and Vagabond Awake is my YouTube channel and uh, everything's in those two spots, really. I don't really play on much of the other social media. I just don't have time. Yeah, so. you can only be in so many places. I. I'm not on Twitter. I'm not on Pinterest. I'm not on LinkedIn. It's like, it's too much. And then for anyone who's watching this video, hop on over to uh, Dan's channel and he's going to interview me. Yeah. You can come over and check it out here. Here are the terrible questions. I'm going to ask yeah. Kristen. <laughs> Need more coffee. <laughs> all right, thanks. thanks Dan for coming. Thank you all for tuning in. Thanks Kristen. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Dan today. He's such a great guy. Just a reminder that Digital Nomads for Dummies hits bookstore shelves today. So head over to your local indie bookshop or Barnes and Noble to grab a copy today. And also check the show notes for the 50% off discount to Freelance to Freedom, my online course to help you start an online side hustle or freelancing business today. Have a beautiful day and see you again next week.